Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I'm your host, David Lewis, and here is where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. Uh, a week ago, actually for the past couple of weeks, I was doing some international travel and stayed at a number of different hotels around the world. And one of the things that I want to share with you guys about my trip is I didn't fly to these countries and then figure out where I wanted to stay. Uh, my wife and I did very extensive research into where we wanted to stay. And it probably doesn't come as any surprise that when any of us are buying something, we look towards third party references to see what they think about either the places that we're staying or the technology that we are buying. And so today's episode really focuses on how buyers conduct research when making purchases. And I'm really excited to be joined uh, by the founder and CEO of Trust Radius. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Trust Radius. We'll talk a little bit about them, but he is really an authority, an expert on this process of the buying uh, cycle. And I think it's really important because all of us in marketing and in sales who are running campaigns, it's our voice telling people about our products and services or whatever your content strategy is. But we have to remember how important your customer's content is in the buying process. All right, so let's dive in. Vinay, so good to see you. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me on, David. And Vinay, as you can see, Vinay Baguette is the founder and CEO of Trust Radius. And Vinay, let's start with like, you know, you're you're a little bit of a serial entrepreneur, but you've been doing this for quite some time. So what was the whole impetus around creating a B2B uh, site for uh, people posting their thoughts and, and experiences with technology and services? David, it was really twofold. Um, one was a personal experience at my former company. Um, I built a SaaS company previously that grew to about 450 people. And as you can imagine, at that scale, we bought a lot of technology to run our business. One particular purchase we made, we bought an HR software system. We rolled it out to 450 employees and then realized it was a bad functional fit for us. My HR team had run what they thought was an exhaustive process. They looked at the Gardner Magic Quadrant. They spoke to references provided by the vendor. They uh, trusted uh, the salesperson uh, in terms of functional fit. But at the end of the day, um, they didn't really vet out that the product um, would support our use case in, in, in the right way that we required. And in kind of analyzing why, why we made a mistake, um, the key issue was that we didn't speak to people with the same use case as us. We had a particular nuance around vacations. And um, had we spoken to tech companies, growth companies like us, we would have probably fished out the problem. Um, company was a fine product, just wasn't right for us. The second experience was actually a consumer purchase. I was buying a, a cappuccino machine for my home. Okay. And I walked into uh, Williams-Sonoma um, and uh, didn't trust the advice I was getting from the salesperson as being objective. Asked a friend of mine who drinks a lot of coffee for advice. He recommended a Swiss brand called Jura. I went online and found a site called Coffee Geeks uh, that had amazing in-depth reviews of home appliances. And I was blown away and said, why doesn't anything like this exist for B2B? 
And that's how the idea for Trust Radius was born. Love it. Well, I love the coffee story because on the trip that I was mentioning when we kicked off the episode, uh, you know, spoiled my wife every day and made sure that when she woke up, there was there was coffee in the uh, in the room. So I would go down to the lobby every day. And as, as you know, you've probably traveled many different countries. You really don't find like the traditional American filtered coffee. It's all about espressos and Americanos and and stuff. So I did come back on like, wow, we were really to buy a machine for the home. And to your point, uh, you know, that's a big ticket purchase if you get like a real industrial strength uh, machine and you really want to know uh, how people enjoy a product. Like it's a very natural product mm -hmm. to look for a third party reference. What made you so convinced uh, or, you know, uh, go down the path of like people would conduct research on B2B software and technology? How did you know there was a market for people trusting and looking towards others around you know, the application space? Well, I'm a first principles kind of guy. And um, I you know, fundamentally believe that a lot of concepts that have worked in B2C cross over to B2B. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're all human beings. And I think behaviors uh, that we develop as consumers often are behaviors that we bring to the workplace. But, um, you know, fundamentally the question I asked myself, and this is back in 2012 when I started the company was, um, are we unique in this situation of struggling to buy software effectively or do mm. other people struggle with that same problem? And I went and spoke to CEOs and CIOs and execs at tech companies around Austin who made a lot of software purchases and everyone had the same recurring themes. Um, the expression I would use uh, or I'd hear a lot is I wish I knew then what I know now. In other words, you learn a lot once you're in implementation or using a product that you frankly wish you'd known pre-purchase. And in some instances, had you known that data earlier, it would have led you to make a different choice. It would have prepared you to understand uh, things like cost of ownership and how you needed to resource correctly to be successful. And in some cases it would, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, basically reaffirm you were making a good choice and help you make that choice faster. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I did with Demand Gen TV, so I, I would say probably 80 to 90% of our podcast community for Demand Gen Radio um, listens to the program as they are now on their favorite podcast app. But we also take every one of these episodes and we put it on Demand Gen TV to just have a playlist of all of these um, conversations as well. However, the channel, Demand Gen TV, uh, is and was really designed to do show and tell demos of MarTech and sales tech because for the very similar reasons that, that you founded Trust Radius, I wanted to provide short demos uh, so people could see the products. I know sales reps will demo the product, but mm -hmm. I, you know, and, and you, you know, anybody going through a buying process, but I wanted to get in front of the buying process and expose people to technology because I learned so much through YouTube. I check out different applications, whether it's video games or other pieces of, of technology. And I go to YouTube to, to see those applications. Like I wanted to learn a new video editor and I've moved to DaVinci Resolve, but I used to use, uh, you know, several different from Final Cut and Adobe Premiere. And so I watched YouTube videos to see what people thought about that. And I noticed on YouTube within the last maybe year and a half, a lot of diehard Adobe Premiere users have talked about why they've switched to a different application. 
and you look at the number of views of these videos and it's enormous. So I really mm -hmm. applaud you for building a place for B2B technology buyers to look and see what other people are saying about those those products. Roughly how many different companies or technologies are you guys covering now in the space? We cover about 750 different software and hardware categories, um, probably 450 really well with some degree of depth, about 20,000, 25,000 products listed on the site and about 8,000 products now have reviews. And a review on Trustradius um, typically is 400 words. The average person spends about 22 minutes writing a review. So it's a fairly in-depth um, exposition on a product. Yeah. The whole theory was, you know, this is a material considered purchase in most cases. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a 50 word, you know, unstructured piece of text wasn't really going to cut it in terms of being useful to a buyer. Fundamentally, again, back to my own um, experience at my company, we picked a good product. It just wasn't right for us. It wasn't right for our use case. So fundamentally, we felt that the reviews needed to expose enough about someone's use case, how they were actually using the application, what alternatives they considered. It's, you know, it's, it's major pros and cons to be a useful piece of content. Mm -hmm. We also decided that, you know, filters were super important because just like if you're a, to take the travel analogy, you might be a luxury traveler or, or a bargain traveler uh, or somewhere in between. You, you, want to, you want to read reviews from people like you who have the same shopping habits or same desires. And we applied that, that thinking really on steroids to reviews because industry, use case, maybe even geography, company size are all material factors in terms of deciding whose point of view is going to be relevant to you. There is no one size fits all right model in software purchasing or hardware purchasing. Nice. I, uh, I have to admit, until probably we met and I got more familiar with the organization, it wasn't my instinct to go to Trust Radius and do my research there. It's more Google-based. And I'll go and say, you know, what's a review of Marketo or what's a review of Sendoso or DemandBase or Sixth Sense, you know, various MarTech tools that many of our clients use. That's where I would assume they would go to Google. So how, from an SEO perspective and results, if someone types in uh, a phrase, what what brings them to Trust Radius? Well, it's 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 the basket of common search terms. So we have about a million people using our site every month, and they they come in on either a combination of brand or category terms. So it could be marketer reviews, or demand base versus six cents, or uh, you know, ABC alternatives or marketer pros and cons. So we're going to rank on a wide variety of common product-related, buying-related search terms. Mm -hmm. Because the content on Trust Radius is really deep, we also have an enormous long tail yeah. where people may be asking for um, insight on specific features of a product. And we're going to rank on, on those types of um, fields as well. Um, we also rank for category terms, you know, best CRM software, et cetera. And so it's a combination of those two, um, th those two baskets of terms, category and product related, uh, that drives a good portion of our traffic. 80% of our traffic is SEO driven. And we've got a strong, dedicated SEO team. Sure.
let's let's talk about trust radius um from the audience here on demand gen radio so many of the people who listen to the program are in marketing they're they're marketing uh leaders cmos marketing operations people if and, and a huge client base for video digital in my group is tech b2b uh technology what what should we do if we're in marketing and let's say it's not a new product but the product's a little mature has been out there and we don't have a strong review base on trust radius meaning we haven't gotten our clients to actively spend the 22 minutes to go make those posts what advice do you have for marketers to make sure that their presence is established in trust radius what does that look like well, first and foremost, you know, there are a handful of major review platforms that one should consider. Just like in television advertising, you wouldn't place all your bets on CBS. You'd have a diversified strategy, but you'd make um, your prioritization choices based upon alignment with your audience. Trust Radius is particularly strong in middle market and enterprise relative to other platforms. And, um, you know, you should also look at um, your category and the strength of your category on any, on any platform you evaluate. But in terms of Trust Radio specifically, uh, brands are free to drive uh, reviews, sorry, customers to our site themselves to, uh, to author reviews. Um, typically, we find that it's hard to get people to do that without some kind of reward. Uh, so there are certainly um, platforms like Influitive and Crowdvocate that actually help with customer advocacy to drive people to sites like mine. Uh, some companies will operate their own sort of uh, reward programs, maybe giving swag or apparel to mm -hmm. people who contribute reviews. Um, the, the other way, frankly, is to work with us. So if we work with a brand to help them drive their reviews, we're going to do a few things differently. One, we're experts in, 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 auth in getting reviews created. So we know all of the different um, strategies to do that, whether that's harnessing events, whether it's using embedded strategies inside existing customer communications or the product itself or um, running campaigns. And we find that when we ask uh, the customers of our customers for reviews versus they ask, oftentimes we're going to get a higher response rate because it's coming from a neutral third party and we can position it as a feedback request. Um, we do use a small monetary incentive, usually a $25 Amazon gift card. And we find that it's a sufficient incentive to motivate a response. If you are looking for responses from executives, you might need to juice that. Or if you've got a very small customer list, you might need to juice it. But, um, you know, we can certainly help brands uh, build a review presence. And we've done that for hundreds of companies. Um, the other thing to think about is um, buyers really struggle to discern the differences between products. Most markets are competitive. Most marketers end up using the same terms to describe themselves. And as a buyer, it's really hard to unpack the differences between products. People make claims, are they legitimate? So the companies that do the best um, really think about social proof as a way to back up their claims. Mm -hmm. And part of the review generation strategy is asking the right questions to create the right kind of social proof. So when we partner with a brand to drive a review program, we go beyond asking our standard generic questions and we try and understand 
what is it that they're trying to tell as a narrative in the marketplace and, and, and how do they differentiate themselves? And then we ask pointed questions to the customer about, again, those points of differentiation. So that yields content on Trust Radius that ultimately is going to help a brand stand out and differentiate themselves. But it also means that the brand accumulates really useful content that they can put to work in their own channels. I have found that uh, when we've been really intentional about asking our clients for reviews, we develop almost a content wheel. So kind of coming back to where I started is, you know, when I'm looking for a hotel uh, to travel to, um, location is, you know, if you're going to a city like we were down in uh, Copenhagen. And so I wanted to get a location that was really close to the main places that we wanted to visit and, and, and be able to walk or take a bike uh, to do that. So location. And then there's, you know, cleanliness of the hotel and room size, factors like that, the amenities, uh, internal restaurants. It's really natural for us as consumers, as you said, Vinay, to know that checklist of things that we're looking for. And what I would recommend to everybody is that when you're taking a, you know, soliciting your customers to give reviews on your product, to make sure that you cover some really key areas. You know, for me, one would be is adoption. Uh, what was it like to, for someone to adopt your product? Um, probably prior to that would be implementation. Um, how long did it take to implement the system and, and uh, tips around that? And then there's usage of it. You know, how many people are involved in, in using the system and administering the system? And then, you know, certainly some form of impact. What's the ROI or the benefit that has come from those applications? Yeah. Because when we do MarTech assessments for our clients, those are always the four areas that we dive in uh, from an assessment perspective. And again, it's, you know, what was, you know, how well implemented is the system? How much are you, have you integrated with other systems? What kind of adoption uh, do you have across the organization? And then what's been the impact from this tool? And when you look at that in almost spider graph, um, those different variables, uh, dimensions rather, and you look at it, then you can see, hey, if this tool is really, really integrated with the stack, but not getting much value from it, then it's really hard to remove it because it's so integrated or harder to remove it. Um, what other areas that, you know, uh, when you're working with your team, are you advising clients to make sure that there are those sound bites around the different, uh, different product? Well, we do a lot of analysis to try and understand what are the common things people are searching for in Google. And again, um, you know, certainly pros and cons of a product is, is super important. People want to understand the whole truth. They want to understand the warts as well as what's great about a product. Um, alternatives considered for frame of competitive reference, you know, were people shopping in the same vicinity of products that you use today? Um, people also want to know a little bit more about the reviewer, what other products do they use uh, to understand who the, who the person is, as well as which company they work for and the demographics of their company. And again, use case, how are they actually using that product? And to your point, um, David, also things like ROI are important, but, but beyond those generic questions, there's a real opportunity to try and differentiate you. So to take the Marketo example, we happen to work with them, but, um, you know, smartless is a really important feature for them. So, um, if you've got something really distinguishing, um, don't hope people are going to write about it, direct them to, um, frankly, one of my inspirations for approaching review generation like this was my own experience as a traveler. I love TripAdvisor as one of my big inspirations for starting Trust Radius. 
<clears throat> but I found that the content, because it's kind of just one block of text, it's hard to sift through. Um, I'm a swimmer and I want to know if there's a lap pool versus a play pool. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to find that information yeah. on TripAdvisor without running kind of an unstructured search. Right. And so I think bias in the B2B world is even more so than that, where there are things that are distinguishing characteristics or a product that are really important, like support, implementation, usability. And we find that the, the way to guarantee more useful responses is to be specific and ask those pointed questions. And again, it's not just answering the questions that the buyer um, you know, wants to answer, like what's the use case, what are the pros and cons, but also using this as a strategy to tell your story about how you're different. Yeah. And the other truism I would say is, unlike a hotel where you check in and check out and may never go back again, I don't know if you have plans to go back to Copenhagen anytime soon, with software, you live it and breathe it every day. Every day. You know, most people are users of these products for many years. The products evolve. They don't stand still. And people's knowledge of the products improves over time as well. So we treat a review like a journal. So to extend your travel analogy, some review sites are more like a postcard. They're short. They're a point in time. Um, we take a philosophy of treating a, a product review more like a journal where someone can add to it over time to give you deeper insights and to also tell you what's new and different about a product as it evolves. Yeah, great suggestions. Uh, when um, Alan uh, was a real estate a- or is a real estate agent uh, that sold my mother's house and he just reached out to me, we sold the house uh, I guess it was about a year ago. And he just reached out to me and asked for me to do a review on Yelp, on Facebook. And I believe there's one other platform because I didn't do it on that one, but I did it on those two because I wasn't on the other platform. And so this is a year later that he's reaching out um, for that. I would imagine when, when he sent that request, I was imagining that he was looking to get reviews and maybe build up his profile. But when I went there, he actually had quite a bit of them. And so I sent him a note and said, hey, I gave you a review, a really glowing review. He was phenomenal. And to your point, I really differentiated why he was such a phenomenal real estate agent in Southern California. And it had to do with, you know, I live in Northern, my mom's in Southern, and he managed the entire process, not just the real estate process, but helping to um, remove all the items from the house, as well as get the house ready for the next uh, person to move in and the inspections and all that. I mean, full service, amazing, no additional commission, but when, you know, not only the extra mile, miles beyond what my expectations were. Point I want to get to, and and for the audience is, what's the right time typically to go to a customer if there is a bell curve to ask them for uh, a review? Because I know if people are thinking right now, hey, I need to go look at Trust Radius, and I recommend that you do, and go look at the reviews of your products and technologies. Start using Trust Radius if you aren't already uh, for looking at the tech that you were thinking about buying. So what's, what's the sweet spot if there is one for uh, soliciting a custom review from a time perspective? Um, <clears throat> I think the optimal time is when someone's sort of achieved first value and has something to report on ROI. But you can certainly ask for reviews earlier than that. Um, so when someone's first made a purchase, there's really valuable insights to be gleaned around why they made your product selection, what products they replaced, what alternatives do they consider? And again, if you 
trader review as a journal versus as a postcard or point in time, someone can add to their review over time and deepen it. We have a whole methodology of going back to people to ask them to add more sections. But if you were thinking about it as a one, as a one point in time thing, I would say when first value is realized. Oh, that's great advice. One of the questions I want to ask you, Vinay, is, you know, I, I will often go to uh, consumer sites and when I'm looking at a product, like I just purchased um, foot pedals and you're like, Dave, you play the piano? No, I don't. Um, I have foot pedals for my computer so that when the software is running right now and I'm using my hands, I can step on a pedal and actually change the scenes uh, in the software that I'm using, which is a pretty cool technology. Um, when I went and looked at it, the reviews on other sites were embedded on their site. And I imagine you guys uh, being around as long as you have with as great a team you have are able to do that as well. Am I, is my assumption correct? Absolutely. So we've got a, a mechanism where a company can sift through their reviews, decide which of them are promote worthy. They're positive. They maybe are on point. They don't have any big gotchas in them. They can tag quotes that they think are powerful and they can tag them by theme. This is a quote about ROI. This is a quote about a competitor. This is a quote about a particular value proposition. And it creates a structured content library. Uh, we then have mechanisms for them to embed those reviews dynamically onto their website. We have companies who've added us to hundreds or thousands of pages on their site. Nice. And the reviews flow thematically according to the rules of the widget. So, you know, we work with companies like Rubrik who've created compete pages where all the quotes showing up in those pages are specific to a single competitor. We've worked with other companies like IBM uh, where they're just trying to show a smorgasbord of different customers from different industries such that any buyer who comes to that page can find someone they can relate to. Nice. And, and what's valuable is that it creates trust. It improves conversion about 30% on landing pages and it builds organic traffic on information pages. All of that content is crawled by Google. We increase the page value on the page about 30% because engagement rates go up, sending a positive signal to Google. And also we can help change how search engine results are displayed to include social proof, the counter reviews and the score, which increases the likelihood someone's gonna click on that search result. Nice. All right, so back to the trip, Vinay. I was in Iceland, and I'm not sure you follow the news, uh, but we literally, so we we flew back one week ago today. And by the way, today, let me look at my calendars, August 9th. Um, so we flew back. The next day, the volcano erupted right by the airport. And so when we were there, uh, the couple days uh, leading up to that, we're sitting in the hotel or walking around, and there are these, you know, 4.x, earthquakes, 5.x earthquakes, you know, big, sizable earthquakes. No one's panicking. No one's concerned there. I'm from California, so we get a little shaken up when there's when there's earthquakes. But everyone was really calm. And I said, what do you think's going on? And they said, oh, the volcano is probably going to erupt. And I'm like, wow, you guys are so casual about that. And they said, oh, yeah, it happens. You know, it's Iceland, like very volcanic uh, uh, area. Um, and it was interesting because when I told someone this story, just like I told you, he, he'd never looked at Iceland. And the next day, I think it was on TikTok or YouTube, it was suggested that he go look at content about the volcano happening in Iceland. Like, 
okay, you know what? Something is listening to our conversation without a doubt because there's no reason that Adam would have gotten that suggestion. And the where I'm telling this interesting story is you guys have some really powerful intent data, right? You know, uh, even though we were having a conversation about volcano and, and Adam's not trying to buy a volcano, but it was, it was a relevant piece of news. I mean, if you're interested to know if your buyer is considering buying from your competition or from you, you guys have all of those, uh, that digital body language, if you will. So how are you helping vendors uh, take advantage of that? Yeah, so, I mean, first to kind of set the stage a little bit more, um, buyers are conducting so much of their research now independently. Uh, in our latest B2B Disconnect survey, um, we found that 100% of buyers now want to self-serve uh, a good portion of wow. their journey. And um, what does that mean to self-serve? It means they want to find independent customer viewpoints, pricing, to your point earlier, demos. They want to self-serve demos. They don't want to speak to a salesperson, see a demo necessarily. Yeah. And what that means for a marketer or a selling organization is that the buyer is anonymous to them for a good portion of the journey. Um, it's also super expensive to market to everyone in your ideal customer profile at all times. And so anything, any data that you can get to help you narrow the aperture of who you target is hugely valuable. So Trust Radius, again, we have a million technology buyers using our site every month. And because of the nature of our site and the nature of how they get to our site, we know that they're in market. They don't come to us casually if they're just browsing and, and learning. They come to us when they're actively shopping. We think of that as downstream intent signals. Uh, they spend 10, 11, 12 minutes on single pages on our site, comparing products, looking at reviews. You don't do that if you're casually, right. you're casual, you do it when you're serious. Yeah. And so we have a very high fidelity signal of intent. And we don't just track which companies are doing the research, we track exactly what they're doing, which basket of products they're considering, what content they're consuming, are they looking at pricing, are they looking at demos, et cetera. And that then helps us guide companies about, again, who to target and how to target them. So we feed that data to companies through a variety of methods. We integrate to Salesforce, we integrate to LinkedIn, we integrate to ABM platforms like Sixth Sense and Demandbase. Uh, we can feed the data as, a, as an API feed if someone uses their own data warehouse. But intrinsically, we're providing them a very strong signal of purchase propensity, but also intelligence about where someone may be in their journey and who they are considering. We can provide um, intent data at two apertures. One is who is considering you. And typically, we know about who's considering you before you do because buyers are using review sites um, as the first thing that they, they go look at after they've identified a need. And oftentimes we see those buyers before a brand does. So we can help you reach out before your competition does. Nice. We can also help you understand who you're competing against. So some of the companies we work with feed our data to their sales teams to help them position correctly. And then we can also provide data about companies that are researching your competition and not you. And so when you think about the holy grail of sales and marketing, it's avoiding missing deals. And you want to know all of those deals that your competition is seeing, and we can help you see those deals. Nice. 
thoughts. Well, I really appreciate the time together. I know that I was I was doing some informal research between the last call we had and this one, and it was interesting to find out that a lot of marketers um, use Trust Radius, and there was like, yep, uh, an instinct for them. I talked to a lot of marketing operations um, heads, and they're like, yep, it's a great resource for us to use when we're considering products besides reaching out to customers. But I also found that um, there's still some responsibility, let's say, to be done in terms of checking their accounts and seeing how many reviews and how current those reviews are uh, for that. So I hope this uh, this podcast and this episode is a good reminder for people to check it out and discover it if they, they haven't used it. We'll make sure that we put some links uh, in the show description so that we can um, send some people who are maybe not familiar with the site over. Where's the best way if you're in marketing and... Uh, Vinay, if you're in marketing and, and you're not familiar with Trust Radius or used your guys' services before, where's the best place for uh, them to go to get more information? Well, first visit trustradius.com. Check out your own profile, maybe your competitors' profiles and reviews. Read them. It's a great source of competitive intelligence. Um, secondly, claim your profile. You can do that through the site. You can, for free, populate it. You can see some reports about uh, your audience on Trust Radius, who you're compared to, your share of audience in your category against competitors. And then if you visit our four vendors tab, you can learn how you can work with us, how we can help you drive reviews, use voice of customer in your own channels, and use intent data. Nice. Well, thanks again for joining me. Stick around. Really want to thank you guys as we're heading out of the end of, of summer. A lot of people going back to school, um, seeing a nice uptick in you guys listening to Demand Gen Radio over summer. I never know what to expect while you guys are taking vacations, but it sounds like you're taking us on the road with you. I mentioned Demand Gen TV earlier, our YouTube channel. Um, I've recently just done, I think it's five new episodes on Sendoso, which is a wonderful gifting platform. If you're not familiar with it uh, or have heard about it in the past but never seen it, uh, to the points that Benet and I were making, uh, we did five demos. We showed uh, Sendoso in HubSpot, in Marketo, in Salesforce, and gave an overview of the platform. So if you're looking at possibly gifting technology for next year or just to do more with your install base and prospects, go ahead and check that out. Fastest way to get to DemandGen's YouTube channel, uh, DemandGen TV is on DemandGen.tv. But if you also go to YouTube and just search Demand Gen while you're there, don't forget to click on subscribe. Um, it definitely helps the channel if you you know give a like when you watch the episodes. And there's a little bell if you click on the notifications bell. It'll let you know every time we release new episodes. So in addition to these podcasts, we're cranking out more and more MarTech and sales tech demos. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks, you guys, for tuning in. And have a uh, great end of summer. We'll catch you guys next week on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.